Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Pastor Steven. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and uh, every once in a while, uh, Aaron lets me talk. So I'm pretty excited to be here with you guys today. Um, We are going to be uh, going through some really exciting stuff in Scripture today. But before we get there, uh, I I just got to share something with you guys. Uh, Back in November, uh, my wife and I, we got to move into a new house uh, to accommodate our growing family. So we uh, we have a daughter who's going to be two two in August, and then our son just turned three months old. So um, all those of you who had told us, yeah, don't blink. I, I thought you were lying. You're not lying. Don't blink because this happens so quick. But, but I got to tell you something. I am at this point, I am sick of moving. I'm so tired of moving. We moved to Oregon a while back, uh, came back from Oregon, then we stayed with my in-laws for two weeks because our house was being rented out, and then we were able to move back into our old house and now into this place. I'm just, I'm tired of moving, and I'm sure everyone who's helped us, I know Chuck back there has helped me a ton of times. He's probably sick of me moving for, for the rest. I heard a big amen. That's all right. So, but it, it was, it's tiring, right? And anyone who's moving knows, right? That you're taking everything you own, you're, you're throwing it into a box and hopefully you label those boxes, right? That say kitchen or dining room. Uh, you get them taped up, you get them over to the new place, you get them unloaded. But then uh, it, my experience, what happened was I undid the kitchen box and I found a nine sixteenths ratchet wrench that I'd been looking for for about a year. Definitely not kitchen material inside of there. Uh, we found some junk drawer items in there. That's where our junk drawers at is in the kitchen, but uh, found some other things in there that I was like, well, I thought I lost this or maybe I wish I had lost this item. But when we unpacked our uh, kitchen box, not only did I find that wrench, but we found our high school yearbooks. You guys ever just sit and look at those things? No, no, I see some of that. Well, I only got mine like four years ago, and so I had to... Don't laugh at that. That's not good. No, I'm kidding. 13 years ago is when my, my senior year uh, high school yearbook came out. And so, of course, we're unpacking these boxes. And the first thing, we, well, we got to sit down. We got to look into these. But the first thing you got to look up is this. I was good looking, right? Okay, you're laughing too hard at that, too. That's not good. Man. But we started looking through some of these yearbooks, and I saw some of your guys' faces. I saw Derek's senior picture in there. I uh, saw some other pictures in there. Chris was in there. He was hugging Humphrey the camel, so that was kind of funny. Uh, definitely different hairstyle and uh, all of that. But uh, not only in that uh, yearbook did we have all these senior pictures, but on the side sections, they had the mosts and the bests. You guys remember that? Like the most likely to be president or the, the best dressed or most likely to succeed. Um, Ed, who played drums for us today, his wife Katie was in one of those. And uh, she was actually nominated most huggable. 
Now, again, that was 13 years ago. I don't know if that's still true, so don't test that theory if you see Katie today or make sure it's all right. Um, my best friend, Grant, is his name. He's a worship leader in town here, too. He was in one of those sections, and uh, he was nominated as cutest tushy. I'm not going to touch that one. You know, there's also different things like most scholastic or the class clown, most likely to succeed. There were, there were a bunch of these different sections as we're flipping through here. And I was in none of them, by the way, which, I mean, I'm not better about, but that's, that's fine, whatever. No, in, in, in all realness, though, if uh, as I was going through high school, there was a lot of times where I was like, yeah, that's right. I, I don't belong in these sections. That if there was actually a section that said most likely to not succeed, maybe that's where, where I would have belonged. Something around that. Even today, as I'm, I'm now 31 years old, I, I have a wife and I have two kids. I'm, I'm following Jesus, teaching them about Jesus. Those ideas, they still try to creep up from time to time. They still try to uh, enter your mind. And truth be told, even a few months ago, even though I'm, you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm in prayer, I'm going through the word, you still kind of go through those desert seasons every once in a while where it feels like it's, it's hard to say, God, what are you teaching me? What are you showing me in these things? And uh, and when those seasons start to happen, I actually start to slip into maybe some depression or, or withdraw from some people or start, you know, even questioning God. God, why do you have me here? What's in this? I don't understand what you're doing. I'm, I'm not good enough, Lord, for any of this stuff. I'm not a, a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough father to my kids. You know, I see a lot of people say, you know, man, I hope I'm half as great as my dad when, when I get up there or something. You know, it's, one day am I going to be able to hear my kids say something like that? Or, no, here's one for you. I, I don't have a fancy degree from a collegiate seminary. And, and you know that's true because I had to spell check collegiate and seminary. So, but I, I'm, I don't have one of those degrees. So am I even qualified to teach what God's word says to God's people? So maybe I need to step down as a pastor. But even as I do counseling with some of you here, like I, I know that I'm not the only one who's ever felt unqualified for life, Right? You know, there's many in this room today who are struggling with a lot of the same exact feelings and feeling maybe unqualified as a husband or a wife or as a son or a daughter, feeling unqualified as a father, a mother, a friend, a coworker. Maybe you feel unqualified as a citizen to society even. But you know, as these thoughts started to hit, the best thing that we can do and the, and the best thing that I was able to do was actually go to God's word and say, God, what do you say about this? Because if, if I struggle with it, and I know other people are struggling with this, then, then what do you have to say about this? Maybe, maybe there's just somebody else that's inside of this book who is just like me. And as I'm reading, I, I got to Hebrews chapter 11. And we start reading about the great faith of all these men and women in Scripture. And, and when you're down in the dumps, that's usually not a good place. Like, great, I get to read all about these goody two-shoes who, who knew the Lord. But... That's actually not what it was, because you start reading and you start breaking through some of these people, you see that they were not perfect, that they had faults and failures of their own. Even though they're listed in what's called the Hall of Faith, chapter 11 in Hebrews, they're still struggling with things. But not only that, God helped them with these things. And so this chapter, all in all, is just filled to the brim with a bunch of broken people, a bunch of broken Stephen Nicholses who are unworthy, who are ineligible and unqualified people who are in desperate need of a savior. And God used them, unqualified and all, 
He used them and then qualified them because of their faith in God. Welcome to Unqualified. They are the heroes of the Bible, immortalized and sanctified, leading a nation out of slavery, never turning away from God, called to preserve all of humanity, the first to spread the gospel, the founders of the church, the leaders of a great nation, a great king, a great queen. Their descendants became God's chosen people. What were their qualifications? A speech impediment, bankruptcy, addiction, old age, a victim of abuse, a denier of faith, orphaned, widowed, overrun with bitterness, a prostitute, an adulterer, a murderer, a liar and a schemer. They were all unqualified in the eyes of the world, but throughout the Bible, God used broken people to do big things. He does the same today. So for the next four weeks, we are actually going to be digging through some of the people that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11, some of those that we saw in that video. And then we're going to find out that not only were they unqualified, but they were still used mightily by the God of the universe in spite of their unqualifications. And these people, honestly, they were just like you and me. There wasn't a lot special about them. They, I know some of those pictures, they show fancy halos around their heads. That, that wasn't true. They didn't have fancy halos around their heads. They didn't have these superpowers that made them more loved by God. They were just simply unqualified people who decided to put their faith in the qualified God. And so this morning, we are, like I've been saying, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open to Hebrews 11. And we're going to start right at the beginning of this thing in verse 1. Uh, I'll give you a little background while you're turning there or while you're getting there on your um, app. Or if you're just going to follow along with the screen, that's fine too. But Hebrews, the, the letter of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians who were thinking of back, about going back to the old way of doing religion. They, they were now following Jesus, but they were getting some persecution, thinking, man, this is way too hard following Jesus. So we're going to go back and do it like we used to. However, the author clearly shows them that there is no going back to the old way that Jesus had fulfilled all this. And simply put, he's just saying, you guys, Jesus is better than the old way. Jesus is way better than anything else. He was better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses and Joshua. Jesus is better, or he serves in a better sanctuary also. He has a better covenant, right? It's a covenant of grace. I like that one. But also his sacrifice was way better. His sacrifice was way better. It is now a once and for all sacrifice of himself, an offering of himself for the sins of man. So no more repeating of sacrificing bulls and goats or birds. They, they don't have to do that anymore. He's just telling them, guys, Jesus is better. Even though you're going through some persecution. And so what he's doing with this chapter is he's spurring them on. He's encouraging them. Hey, look at these Old Testament people who persevered through. And it was by their faith that they did this. And as soon as he gets to uh, Hebrews 12, he says, keep running the race. Don't pull back now. Keep going. And so he's encouraging these guys and, and the readers 
um, with these Old Testament people. So let's dig in to verse one here and, and hopefully we make it through verse one. We'll see. We'll see what happens today. Um, verse one says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So today, obviously, we're talking about faith. And we've all heard that word. We've seen that word faith a bunch, right? We've seen it on bumper stickers, uh, different t-shirts. I've seen a lot of shirts that say faith over fear on them. I, I really like those. That's As a believer, that's what we should have, right? But most of us have some kind of idea or opinion about what faith is. And if you're a non-believer here today, or if you're watching online, you're a non-believer, maybe you think faith is just believing something good, believing something in nice. Or, or if you're an atheist, maybe you think that faith is just stupid because it means believing in something that you can't see or that something you don't have tangible evidence for. You might think that Christians have what's called blind faith. But for us Christians, those who have put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus, we know that faith is something far more, right? We know that we are actually saved by grace through our faith. Ephesians 2 tells us that, right? We know that faith in Jesus is actually what gets us to heaven. But let me stop right there. What does that word faith even mean? But more specifically, what does God say that the word faith is? Because if he's the one that does the saving, we should probably know what his definition of faith is. You know, so many people have their own ideas or their own twists on what faith is. But if the f definition of faith doesn't line up with what God says, then it can't be a true faith. Okay, so let's check out this text again one more time. It says, now faith is. Awesome. The Bible is about to tell us exactly what we want to know. What is faith? Let's check it out. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for the proof of what is not seen. So let's stop right there. First off, faith is a reality, or maybe some of your translations say a confidence or a substance. And the Greek word, uh, we go back to the Greek for the New Testament because uh, it was written in Greek. And so we look at what the Greek says here. It actually means a strong foundation. Now, all of you who are from Gillette, who have been here in Gillette, you know that word foundation, don't you? We know about foundation, and sadly, we usually don't hear it in a good context. Like, hey, welcome to Gillette. Your foundation is shot, right? Your foundation is cracked. Your foundation is leaking all sorts of water into your basement. Your foundation needs repaired or replaced, different things like that, right? We've all heard those things. And living in Gillette, we know that word. That's just something we have to deal with here. But the word here in the Greek actually means a strong foundation. It's a firm foundation, not Gillette soil foundation, right? This is a structure that you can build something on and you know it isn't going anywhere. It's firm and steady. It isn't gonna move on you, right? It's a foundation that is so solid that you trust to build a house on top of this foundation. But inside of this context, it's even better because you trust that foundation so much that you wanna build your life upon this foundation. That's how much you actually trust Jesus. And furthermore, it's, it's not a blind faith because blind faith would be the opposite, right? It would be no foundation or a weak foundation. And a lot of people think that that word faith actually means that we have to negate all logic and reason. That's not true. 
Because as believers, we do have real reasons and real concrete foundational evidence for what we believe in. And so, in, in light of this term, faith is the foundation on which we stand firm regarding the hope that we have. That word hope here, it's, it's not like an empty wishes kind of thing. Like, hey, I hope you have a good day. Or you know you're going into a meeting and your boss is going to ream you a new one. You're, ah, I hope that goes well. That's, that's an empty wish, right? We, we don't have that kind of hope or, or just positive thoughts or just good vibes. And I'm still trying to figure out what a good vibe is, though. Is that you just smile and... I don't, I don't know. That might be a good vibe. I'll figure it out. One of these days I'll find out what a good vibe is. But the word hope that is given here, it is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation in who God says that he is, right? In his promises and in his word, we have a confidence because of everything that he has done in the past to prove himself as God. And so this first portion of faith as a definition in Hebrews 11, we could state it this way. We say we have a reality or a confidence that God is who he says he is. Right? We know that God is who he says he is. He has fulfilled so much in the old times in prophecy to prove that he is who he is. And secondly, we come to the second portion of that, right? There's that comma, and then it says, faith is the proof of what is not seen. And some of your Bibles may say assurance or evidence. And, and the Greek word here means a convicting proof of the things that have not happened yet, but they will indeed happen. That you know that even though they haven't happened yet, that God is going to make them happen because he said that it will. It's saying that I am absolutely confident in the things that I have not seen, but they will happen, right? We have that convicting proof because Jesus proved himself time and time again to be the son of God, to be God in the flesh who came down for us. And we know that we can trust him no matter what is going on in our lives. Right? We've been working through the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John is actually a historical eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ himself, doing the things that only God could do. Right? We have that kind of proof. Right? So if we put this kind of proof that we've talked about with the first definition of faith, let's, let's see what we get. It says, faith is a reality that God is who he says he is, and that he has proved it by keeping all of his promises. What is all? That means his past, present, and future promises. He's going to keep all of those promises. He hasn't broken a promise yet. He's not about to start. He's actually about to start fulfilling them as we see times getting closer to the end, right? right? He's not breaking promises. He's fulfilling them. But here, as, as I go through this and I try and read and, and struggle with, okay, God, what are you saying that this is? Here's the most boiled down, uh, the, I call it the SST, that's the Stephen Standard Translation. Uh, the, that is the definition that I, that I tried to get for you today. And it says this, faith is saying, Jesus, I believe everything you say, and I'm going to trust and follow you with my entire life, no matter what happens. No matter what happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever, Lord, I trust you with everything, right? This was the same kind of faith that actually approved the people in the Old Testament that we're going to start talking about. Verse 2, 
It says, for by it, by faith, our ancestors won God's approval. Right? The men and women of this chapter proved with their lives that they believed in God. They proved it. And as we work through some of these, you're going to see that what they had was not a dead faith, but that their faith is alive. It's not dead. It's alive. And for this, we're going to jump over to James chapter 2. Uh, James is just a little book right after Hebrews. So uh, flip over there if you have it. But James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. We're going to learn about dead faith versus faith that's alive. It starts off in this. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? Okay, so James is going to ask a question to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters. He said, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? I'll stop right there. Just answer that question for yourself. Answer that in your own mind, in your own heart. Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister, okay, he's going to give an example, right? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed. A lot of us say, I'll pray for you, and then you don't. That's not good. But you don't give them what the body actually needs, right? You're not providing for the physical uh, clothing or food that they need. What good is it? And he says, in the same way, okay, he's flipping it back to reality now. He says, in the same way, if it does not have works, faith is dead by itself. But some will say, well, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. And then right here, he kind of gives like a, like a backhanded like compliment, I believe, to, to who's ever reading this. He says, you believe that God is one. Hey, that's good. That's good that you believe that. But even the demons believe that God is one. And they shudder, right? They are freaked out because they know who he is. What's super interesting about that is that the demons even believe there's a God. But the only difference in what we as believers claim to be true and what demons actually acknowledge as true, it's, it's not different information. It's really not. It's what are we going to do with the information that we claim to believe is true? You know, I heard one pastor, he put it this way. He said, information is not transformation. Right? If that were the case, the demons, they, they might be able to be saved. They've got all the information in the world. But it's what you do with that information that actually changes you and causes you to grow. Now, anyone who knows me, they know that I love evidence, right? I love information about God, especially when it comes to the creation of the universe, which is actually a great segue because let's check out verse three. It did it for me. That was great. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible, there was a time in life when I was really struggling with the existence of God. Um, and God actually used some evidence and used some information to help me see that it actually took way more faith to believe that nothing created the universe rather than something created the universe. Or in this case, someone created the universe. You know, I've said this before, and some of you have taken some of my classes, you know this, but how often does nothing create something? 
donut hole, right? Zero. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. Something has to create something, right? And I've, I've been in conversations with guys where I said, okay, well, if, if that's true, then who created God? Because if, if everything needs created, hey, that's a great question. However, God is self-existent, right? You have to be outside of those things in order to create everything. God is the uncaused first cause. He's always been here. He always has been here. He is self-existent. He's timeless and spaceless and immaterial, which is really cool because Einstein himself proved with his theory of general relativity that space, time, and matter had to come into existence at the exact same time and point in order for everything to happen. If they came in just a little bit out of balance and they went off into the universe, it would have spun off into nothing at that point, which, okay, we wouldn't be here for that. Or if it went back and it didn't go enough and it would have collapsed back on itself and it wouldn't have created life either. In order to make space, time, and matter, you have to be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and self-existent. That is the same God of the Bible that we are talking about today. That is the one that we are talking about today. Well, since you guys did get me started on cosmic proof, it's, it's kind of your fault, right? I guess I better give you one more, right? How about this one? Did you know that if the gravitational force was altered by zero point that number percent, that our sun would not exist and therefore neither would we? That's a decimal point followed by 37 zeros, by the way. It's pretty crazy. It doesn't seem like a cosmic oops to me. Right? And that's just a few of these, what they call anthropic constants that have to be in place in order for us to even survive, in order for us to breathe uh, oxygen levels, carbon dioxide levels, gravitational force, all of that. I mean, I, I could, I could talk about that stuff all day. Uh, I know some of you really like that. Some of you are falling asleep. That's okay. Um, I have a friend who's watching right now, Mike Collins, and we'll sit here and we will talk this stuff for hours. He's also like that, but we're also super nerdy. So there's that. Uh, all in all, what I'm, what I'm saying all this to say is that we have evidence. We have proof that there is a God. Ravi Zacharias, he said it this way. He said, God has put enough into the world to make faith in him a most reasonable thing. It is super reasonable to believe in God, right? Just even some of those stats we looked at. But he has left enough out to make it impossible to live by sheer reason or observation alone. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying that we could have tons of head knowledge, right? We could have tons of proof. And anyone who's heard Ravi preach or speak or read any of his books, you, you know he had lots of proof. But what he's saying that it's not about just having that head knowledge if it never hits your heart. It's not about having all of the proof if it never changes your life. Because we could have all of the knowledge. We could have all of the information. But it goes back to that thing. Information is not transformation, Right? I know that if I ate better and I exercised more, that I wouldn't be rocking the dad bod. I know that that's true. Right? My wife would be sad if I lost it, though. I mean, she, you know, I really look this way for her. That's just so you know. Happy wife, happy life. Guys, take notes. However, my knowledge of getting into shape and eating healthy and eating right doesn't actually make me healthy. Likewise, believing just like demons believe does not do anything. 
Because true faith is going to transform our lives, and it will lead to action inside of our lives. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. It's definitely not going to happen overnight. I am still a work in progress. But you're eventually going to start to see your life being transformed by what God says and by what God wants instead of watching our lives decay like the world actually wants. Now, let me put it this way. The depth of a person's faith is always connected to and demonstrated by how they choose to live their lives. That's what James said. Because faith without action, faith without works is dead. And as we continue reading, we're going to see that these people in Hebrews 11, they did have that faith that was alive. They had the faith in action. Even the guys right at the beginning of this thing, let's look at verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than his brother Cain did. And by faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Wow. And we're not going to spend too much time on on a few of these folks here, but they are worth mentioning. Abel, he had this certain kind of faith that pleased God and his brother Cain didn't have that. He, uh, Abel offered an animal sacrifice. Cain offered something from the ground like vegetables. But the difference in the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, it, it wasn't so much animal and vegetable. But the big difference here is that Abel's sacrifice was made with true faith in God, and Cain's was not. Cain's was not. Abel's faith in God made Cain so mad that Cain actually killed him. Christians, I think that's a warning that we need to heed. Do you guys hear what happened in China? That they're going into Christian homes over there and they're taking down pictures of Jesus and they're putting up pictures of the president and saying, you need to worship the Communist Party. That's what you need to worship. And if you don't, then we're going to take away any form of payment that you get. It's happening before our eyes. There's a lot going on that we can, that we can heed Let's also look at verse 5 here. We'll look at another one. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Man, Enoch is such an amazing mystery of the scripture. He is so cool to learn about, just, just the little bit that we have. right? We can see from, from just this portion that he walked with God, And we know that this was pre-flood, so the world was getting wicked. Imagine that. And he was able to keep his life pure, and he was able to keep his faith in God. And then one day, God just takes him up to heaven. That sounds pretty sweet. I like that. That's a good exit strategy. But all in all, that is quite the opposite of what Abel had to go through, isn't it? And they're right next to each other here. Abel, he had to die a painful death from his brother. And then Enoch was just taken away. God had a different plan for those guys. And likewise, he has a different plan for each one of us here today who put our faith in him. Now, here's the kicker to everything that we've been talking about this morning. I know this is one of Pastor Dave's favorite verses. But verse 6, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
It kind of gives the basic requirement for faith here. The basic requires for anyone who seeks God. It says you must believe that he exists. Okay, you believe that he's real. And you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, so we believe that God is there and that he's actually gonna reveal himself to those who seek him with their hearts, who truly wanna say, God, I wanna know you. I wanna know who you are. I wanna trust in you. Show yourself to me. Show yourself through your word. I think it's really good to note here, though, that the author of Hebrews, he didn't say that it's, it's difficult to please God without faith. He said that it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. The kind of faith that says, Jesus, I trust you with my entire life. Jesus, I trust you with everything that I am, with everything that I have. I trust you completely that you know better, that your ways are better than mine, that you are indeed who you say you are, but then turning and living like you actually believe that. That is the faith that pleases God. And today, I, I don't know where you guys are at with your faith. You know, maybe you're spot on with this definition in Hebrews. Maybe you need to step aside for a little bit, do some heart examining and say, God, is this my life? And maybe the Holy Spirit needs to take a scalpel in your heart and, and do, some, do some big time surgery, some overhaul. Maybe your faith is actually just in something totally else besides Jesus. But what I want you to know that as believers in Jesus Christ, our faith can never be grounded in our circumstances. Our faith is not grounded in circumstances. It's not based on our current emotions, whether those are good or bad emotions. Our faith isn't built on what could or couldn't be or what might or what might not happen in the world. Our faith is not dependent upon who the president is. Our faith is not established on if God does or doesn't do something for me in a certain way that I want. And if he doesn't, I'm going to throw a fit about it because it didn't happen in my time and in my way and in the way that it should have happened in my thoughts. Right? Faith based on what we want or what you want or what I want instead of what God wants, that's not faith. This morning, if you guys only hear me say one thing out of, out of all the rambling that I'm doing here today, I hope that you just remember this one portion. Our faith is based on a person, and his name is Jesus, okay? Our faith is based on Jesus. Why? Because he came to reconnect us with God. Right? A little over 2,000 years ago, he came to be born of a virgin. He came to live a sinless life. He went to die on a cross in our place so that we didn't have to. He was taken and then buried in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and that we can indeed put our faith in him. And no matter what happens in life, since we know this is true, that means that we can follow him and give our lives to him at all costs. Now, I'm here to tell you today that if your faith is not in Jesus, but inside of circumstance or, or maybe your spouse or your bank account, maybe upon who the president is, then it's not going to be long until you lose your faith. It's not going to be long because I've, I've been there. 
That's the kind of faith I had, thinking that it was in stuff and in bank accounts and in money. That was the faith that I had. Or looking back on my life circumstances and crying out to God, say, God, why did this have to happen to me this way? I didn't want that. God, why do I have to go through this hard time in life? This isn't fair. Or God, how am I going to explain these different things to my wife, how I screwed up so bad? Or God, how am I going to tell my kids about a situation that because somebody else screwed up in life and somebody else doesn't want to follow you, that they now have to walk through a difficult time? They didn't even do anything. Why do they have to go through this? How about this one? God, why didn't you heal my grandpa from cancer? He loved you. He believed in you. He followed you. And you didn't heal him. Dad, or God, why'd you let my dad walk out of me when I was six years old and now I have all these daddy issues that I get to deal with? And God, why didn't you just let me die? Oh, everyone would have been way better off if I wasn't here. You guys ever said anything like that? You ever thought anything like that? Well, if you have, first off, welcome to the club. But I'm here to let you know that God tells us time and time again in his word. He's like, perfect. That's the kind of people I want to use. That I'm not done with you. You might think that, but that's not who you are to me. That's why he came in the first place. He knew that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He knew that while we were sinners, we were going to need help. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. It wasn't when we had everything set and ready to go, right? It was while we were still sinners is when Jesus went to the cross for us. That is the greatest act of love. He took our place on the cross and did that for us. He used all sorts of people just like you, just like me, that we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. These people were broken, hurt, and in the eyes of the world, they were called unqualified. But here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. You know, maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've heard it put this way also, that God doesn't look for the able, but he looks for the available. And all throughout scripture, God uses these unqualified people to do extraordinary things to bring glory to himself. Is it, well, God, I am way too far gone. You could never use me, baloney. Go through and read about some of these dudes. God uses unqualified people to do great things, to bring glory to himself and to prove to us that he is who he says he is and that we can trust him with our lives no matter what happens. Now, we may be unqualified people in the eyes of the world, but here we see that if we put our faith in Jesus that he turns around and qualifies us for his work, for his kingdom, and for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, today we are super thankful that we get to be with you. Lord, that we get to open your word and just dive through what you have to say. And God, some of the time it's, it's not even what we want to hear, but if it's in your word, Lord, we need to hear it. And so God, I ask today, that um, those who are strong in their faith, Lord, that you would help them to continue to run that race. Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to them 
uh, through, through your word, through prayer. Lord, those who may be struggling with their faith today, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to them in a mighty way. Lord, that they would know that they can trust you above all else, that their faith is not in circumstances or situations or, or anything else in life, but Lord, that their faith is in you. Jesus, I pray for those who are watching who don't know you, who maybe they want to know you, or maybe they've been running for you, from you for a long time. God, I pray that they would quit running. I pray that they would see who you truly are, and they would see that radical love that you have for them, that love that sent you to die on the cross for our, for our benefit. Jesus, we love you so much, and we are super grateful and thankful that we get to be here today to discuss what your word says about faith. Now, Lord, I do pray that as we do one last song here today, that you would use these words to open our eyes, to open our hearts, and to cause us to have more faith in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.